0: friends welcome to another episode of making disciples and today i'm joined again uh, by my friends sarah mcdonald and benedict atkins and the former of this uh, podcast is to simply uh one of us will bring a thought and then we'll discuss it for the next 20 minutes as a way of us really getting our teeth into something and hearing each other's views. So, I'm really excited today. Our thoughts can be brought by uh, Sarah, so let's jump straight in. And friends, welcome to Making This Up. All
1: right, so um, Chris invited me to think about the question uh, of faith in hard times. So how do we persist when faith is shaken? And, and I have to be honest, as we begin, um, amongst friends with accountability, that some of my time that I was going to spend prepping this thought was taken up this week by the fact that one of the two church buildings we have um, has been condemned temporarily due to faulty stonework. There is a beautiful 19th uh, century urn at the top of the tower, which um, is we're worried is going to beautifully fall and uh, kill most of our congregation, But so we've had to shut the church. And uh, if you are anyone, if you're in any kind of role or job where you have to deal with buildings, you might be thinking, what an absolute nightmare, Um, that would be awful. But actually, I think for us, it has been the best thing that could have happened to us as a church community um, and as people making disciples. And side note, partially because we have a second church building. So basically what's had to happen is we've all had to move into our second church building and all our worship services are happening in there now. Um, But I want to start by sharing a little bit from the book of James and then I'll come back into why I think um, your building being condemned can be the best thing that can happen for you as a church so this is James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its works that you be you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So James is suggesting that growth as Christians' maturity comes from difficulty. And so he's inviting uh, the church to consider when they face times of difficulty, to consider that joy. Now note he's not saying you have to feel joyful when life is difficult. I think in the church sometimes, um, we can do this slightly invalidating thing when someone's having a tough time and say, oh yeah, you should, it's okay because Jesus is Lord, you're going to be okay. Or tomorrow is a new day. I don't think that's necessarily always the most helpful thing to hear if you're having a tough time. But he's inviting them to have a different perspective on difficulty. He's saying instead of thinking maybe, is this God punishing me or what have I done to deserve this? To consider the possibility that when faith is shaken, when things are difficult, it could lead to growth. Now, I think as a whole, the church in the West generally don't face seismic challenges very often. And I wonder sometimes if that makes it more difficult for us to mature as disciples, because we don't deal with challenge often. The default seems often to be in the Western church that life is generally good and when something bad happens, that's out of the ordinary, that is different. And I wonder if that makes it more possible that when we deal with personal crisis, it can challenge our faith more than it should. Because we've maybe been taught this false gospel that says when you follow Jesus, life is generally good. We can chat about that in a bit. Um, And it says that our relationship with God and our spiritual maturity are measured by how well our lives are going. In contrast to that, James says the difficulty leads to growth. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about skyscrapers. I don't know much about buildings. I know way more now than I did like three days ago. Um, But skyscrapers often move with the wind. They're designed to slightly move. So at the top, the top of the building slightly sways. Now, you might look at that and think, oh, that's a complete disaster. Like that building's about to fall over. But actually it's, And I don't know the official engineering or architectural term it is designed in order to make the building more stable because it's got that little bit of flex the building is fundamentally more stable and I think potentially having a bit of shaking in our spiritual lives is a good thing because if we have a little bit of movement if we're used to some difficulty we're less likely to be completely freaked out when something catastrophic happens because we're used to a bit of shaking our faith is not based on everything going well and I think um, for us as a church um, this having to move into a different building, this having to deal with potentially a big project and making things safe is actually going to be really good because it's going to force us to grow as followers. We are in a, quite a nice bit of Islington, we have two lovely buildings, we have a nice staff team and actually it's good for us to deal with difficulty because it's going to make us ask the questions like what is church, what does it mean, how do we worship God in a different space, it shakes us out of our routine. So I would 10 out of 10 recommend having your building fall apart at some point um, in your life and as we go back to thinking about that question of James and considering it joy we're reminded that because of Jesus we can move to this place of a new mentality that when negative stuff happens it's not caused by um, something we've done it's sometimes just the reality that we live in a broken world and parts of it are broken and so um as I kind of finish thinking about this, I'd love us maybe to start by thinking about what are the false gospels that we can hear, the false good news, you know, the false messages that sometimes uh, Christianity can give us that make it more difficult when difficulty comes. Are there particular challenges that, um, because of maybe the way our Western church works, means that we struggle more to cope with difficulty?
0: What do we think so this, is, this is great particularly this idea of we live in a society of wealth and consume uh, we're doing well if we're getting more we're doing well if we're having the pay rise we're doing well if we've got the job promotion and that gets tied up with so much of our faith that when you become a christian it must mean that god is now on your side therefore you will have promotions and you'll get the house and the car you'll have the wealth and then therefore we start thinking if i've not got those things something's gone wrong either god is not faithful or i've done something wrong to up, you know offend god and you know, even jesus is asked that isn't it when he, when he's apprenticed centered with a, a sick man you know why is this man sick is it because his parents sinned or he sinned and jesus turned around and said this has got nothing to do like don't read your cultural understanding of the world on this situation and I think it is really dangerous uh, I'd love to know because Benedict you're slightly further out east kind of from here so it'd be interesting uh, what it looks like for you but certainly here where we are there is this idea that if we don't have money God is against us if we do have money God is for us and I live in an area where there's poverty therefore God is against us
2: mm. I don't know what it looks like, looks like for you I think it's easy to see where some of these false messages creep in in the, the east end of our town and in other places in this country the, the bombing in the second world war had a, had a big effect so um, up until that point a lot of people were attending church services the idea of Britain as a Christian country as God on our side of God looking after us and fighting our cause And God being up there and looking out for us means that when the bombs fell from the sky it raised so many questions that hadn't really been asked in generations about well, where is God and who is God and is is he on our side. And it's no coincidence that after the Second World War we see people flocking out of churches in their droves and as a result not being Christian today not passing it on to their families and the generations below. And so the part of town that I'm in, we really see this having an effect. This is brilliant. This idea that if God is real
0: and he's on my side, then I'll worship him. But if God is not on my side and there is suffering, then God must dislike me. Therefore, I dislike him. That's almost what we've tied together, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it's so funny because Jesus directly speaks to this. And when he talks about... The, uh, who's blessed he says blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the weak and yet when we talk about I don't I mean I do it myself like when I'm talking about what are the blessings God has given me I think about my, my house that I get to live in or my friends or my family as my blessings and in churches when we share testimonies of God's goodness and God's blessing we talk about you know I needed a job and God got me a job or I was in debt you know we don't have people stand up at the front and say I, I'm blessed because I've had a really tough week of mental health or I'm blessed because, you know, and yet that's what, you know, Jesus talks about people being blessed who are in those positions.
0: But we've totally messed up this idea of blessing. So I love, um, you know, Matthew 5, where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the but That word blessed there, uh, I don't remember what it is in Greek now, but the translation of it isn't into words. That word in the Greek translates into a picture. Mm. It's a picture of two hands holding something. So blessed are those that grieve. Well, I've never been felt blessed when I'm grieving. Mm. As you can always say, blessed are those who suffer. Well, that that surely cannot be true. But yet, when we understand that blessing is being held by God in the hands of God, mm. then blessing is our position, not what we're getting out of it. Mm. And I think for me, that's when I understood that's what Jesus was saying, you're in the hands of God when you're suffering, or you're in the hands of God when you are being oppressed. Uh, it's a safe place it's a place you are blessed because you're in a safe spot but it's not blessed in terms of money or health or wealth or the car or the house or the holiday it's it's uh, a blessing over your position and i think what we've done is we've removed that from jesus and turned it into this you'll be wealthy when you are and it's 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 the position that gives us the blessing so you're in a good place when you are suffering. What, how How are we in a good place when we're suffering? I think for me, that's the... Well, it's because we're in the very place we should be. We're in our father's hands. Mm. And then suddenly I'm like, OK, I can now see how, in suffering, I might find a good place. But that's not what society want. Mm. And that's not what they think. What they want is a quick fix. And what we often want... I'm saying society. I'm, I'm, we're in this, aren't we? We're, we're, we're in the, the pan that's boiling us alive. Um... We want the quick fix, but actually it's the place that we should find ourselves that gives us the blessing.
2: That's good.
1: Well, and consumerism doesn't want us to be in that place of being held by God, because, you know, there's a reason that the self-help industry is so successful, right? Because we want to be able to get ourselves out of a situation and we see that as... And that's kind of when James talks about growth. I think that we think that growth is us doing stuff to make ourselves better so I don't know about you when I'm going through a difficult time all I want to do is analyze it and be like what is God teaching me and how can I name the top five things that I'm learning here and let me journal and write a song and and sometimes that's you know can be helpful but I think what what I like about the James passage is he's saying growth is a consequence of Mm. difficulty he's not saying you have to force it he's saying consider joy because growth is going to come out of difficulty and it just I wonder if it changes the way we engage with those challenges because instead of trying to, like, desperately fight our way out of the pit, we're more content to be held by God in that situation. Mm. Yes.
2: So it seems like we've equated um, blessing with having an easy time. We say, I'm having an easy time, therefore I must be in the hands of God. And so if I'm not having an easy time, it must be because God's let me go. And often before we even try and test God on that or say, God, show me where your hands are in this situation, I personally find it really quick to then just run away. I'm like, well, I'm obviously not in God's hands. I'm having a rough time, so I'll try and sort it out myself. Mm-hmm. Or, or I'll try and escape it in some way.
0: Hmm. I was in Waterstones recently. There are other bookshops for those that want to use them. but I was in Waterstones. And... Um I was looking for one of those in Idiot's Guide 2s mm. and I ended up noticing that there's more self-help books on the shelf now in Waterstones than there are religious mm. uh, books um, so there's, there was literally about four Bibles and a couple of commentaries and then you got these entire shelves full of self-help around different areas and it just really got me thinking about how we have stripped our lives of God's help in the midst of suffering or the midst of a problem to a place of well nobody's going to defend me therefore I will defend myself and then we wonder why we've got mental health issues and we're depressed and we're anxious because we're fighting for ourselves and understanding um, when life gets tough where God is and how God is working with us is is the most helpful thing thing we can do because what we what we're telling people at the moment is this idea if you become a Christian your life will be blessed they sit back and go well my life isn't blessed therefore there isn't a God mm. therefore they go off to try and solve their own problems whereas if we said to people uh, friends life's a mess but can I tell you where Jesus is right now mm. and that God is present with you and he's is with you in the midst of suffering rather than absent from you and helping people kind of check into that idea of God being more present in suffering it's not less present, he's more present. And it's not the absence of God in, in suffering. And it's not even this idea that God is trying to teach you something. But actually God never promised us that we would be blessed. He never promised us that we would be healthy. He never promised us that we would have wealth. He promised us that he'd be faithful. So for me, that's what I want people to know is God is faithful to you. It doesn't mean you'll get all of these things. And if you do get those things, uh, I'm not even saying it's from God. Like, I, I'm not, I'm, I can't even guarantee it's from God. It might just be you've made some good choices. Because mm. God's promise to us is not blessing. His promise is faithfulness. And I think that's very different. And it's in that finding that place of faithfulness of God that you can deal with the crap when, mm. it, when it's thrown at you. Because you lean on him rather than challenge him, why have you done this? Mm. And it feels as a society we, we, we're wagging our finger at God, going, How dare you? Do you know who we are? Mm. You know, why have you done that to us?
1: Yeah. Do you think there's a danger that Western Christianity markets itself like a, another self help guide?
2: Yeah. Or even I think to be kinder to ourselves. Sometimes there's just an aspect of. We always approach God based on our experience of him thus far, which is Mm. fine, but there's always more. So a personal example, when I became a Christian, at that point I was an absolute mess, and my first few months of times with God were incredible, like miracles, healing. I experienced him as someone who did fix my problems. Mm. Now there's more to him than that, but I didn't know it. And so the first time that I got ill and wasn't miraculously healed, or the first time um, I slipped into depression and couldn't get out of it, it dragged up all these questions for me about, well, God, who are you? Are you not on my side? Are you not who you said you were? And I think there's that danger for us that when we see God as a problem solver, when he doesn't solve our problems... We think he's not God. But actually for God to be more than a problem solver means that he's, he's more than just that role in our life. And this comes out in the way that we pray, right? So um, if most of my prayers are problem solving prayers, God sort this out, God sort this out, God sort this out. That's, you know, prayer is, is how we relate. So if all of my conversations with God are about problems that I'm having and they're not changing, then my trust in this relationship is, is being depleted, right? If, if all I talk to you guys about, Chris and Sarah, are you know, various issues and things that I want you to do and you don't do them, then my relationship with you goes down the pan, right? Mm. I think it's the same when we're, we want directional guidance and we're saying, God, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, right? We've all been there and we don't feel him telling us what to do. So you think, well, God, are you not there? Would you not care? Mm. But he actually wants us to grow, Right? So that we're not just treating him like a line manager, but like a father. And it's this growth that I think James is calling us into. So that the prayer changes from God fix this problem to God, what's going on here? How do you see the situation? How are you at work? Does that make sense? Mm. No, totally.
0: We, to- we rebranded our Easter Day service this year. And we had posters outside the church and it just said uh, how to be happy. And we, we had this idea of come to church on Easter Day and the vicar is going to have five tips on how to make your life happier. Mm. And it was trying to play into this cultural idea that I've got. Because we love blogs, don't we, that say mm. five tips on how to make the best coffee in the universe or something. So we, we kind of played on this idea. And then so we had visitors come who wanted this answer, how will I make my life happier? Mm. And I was able to then speak into my five tips. And, like, tip number one was come to the realisation that you will never be completely happy. Mm. Like, death to happiness. And, you know, you can see people going, this isn't what I came for. You know, I wanted five simple tips about Mm. what, you know, which dog to put £500 on to. Mm. But, but, you know, dice the idea that you are not going to be happy. That's not the purpose of life. What is the purpose Mm. of life? It's not to be happy. It's not to be... um, Driven for this happiness, there's got to be something else behind it that is the the heart of what life is really about. Yeah. And for me, it's like contentment in knowing who you are, who the people around you, who God is, and, and it's finding a place where we trust in the faithfulness of God. Mm. So kind of, Etika's on that journey, mm. but the, I wanted to twist it. Yeah. About this idea of how you know how how could you be happy? Five tips on how, how to find happiness. Mm. And there were people who turned up to hear that because they want a the quick fix. Yeah but they don't want to do the, the, the long-term relationship building with God, that when it comes to the storms, we can actually find God as faithful in it.
1: I really like, I don't know who said it, that the idea of shalom as everything in its right place. Hmm. Um, and I think that, I wonder how much in the church, if we searched for shalom as opposed to happiness...
0: Explain that again, just so, for anybody listening oh, yeah, who's sure. never so, heard the word shalom. So
1: that's a great... Yeah, I, I did a... We, we were going to have a churchy buzzer, weren't we, at one point, if any of us said a churchy word. So shalom, uh, just this idea of peace, it's a it's a Hebrew word, I think. Mm. Um, and so sometimes people will use it. and um, and. But it kind of means more than peace, as in just like a peaceful feeling or feeling kind of calm. Um, I know who it was, a guy called Stephen Backhouse talked about actually a better translation of the word shalom is everything in its proper place. And I wonder how much if we were pursuing shalom as opposed to pursuing happiness, we might have an understanding of challenges coming into that, that um, kind of almost expects challenges. Because if you're moving house, right, or you're moving stuff around, like there are points of that movement that feel like utter chaos, or feel like everything doesn't make sense, or there is mess. And chaos because if everything is moving into its proper place it's going to be messy and like i know in my life like when god's doing work in me like there are significant amounts of time where that does not feel fun at all that does not feel happy but if you're pursuing shalom over like everything in it's right place over um happiness you have a framework that makes that challenging point mm. easier to deal with even if it's not like does not feel great mm. And that kind of comes back, you know, you were saying about like when you're praying to God in difficulty, instead of saying like, will you just fix this, saying, God, what is your perspective on this? Changes a lot maybe how you see that situation. So with our building, like hilarious. Um, So we moved all of our service to the other building, which we have. um, And then in that other building during the service, there was a flood that went from the top. Yeah, I know. What a great day. There was that went from the top of the church all the way down to the bottom. Now, if we hadn't been in that building on the Sunday morning, it would have trashed the whole building. So we would have had no buildings. And for me, like, I don't, I don't think, I wouldn't make it as, like, simple as being like, well, God obviously moved us into this other building so we'd spot the flood. But I just think it sort of showed me it's, it's the ways of God are kind of sometimes mysterious to us and understanding, like, what he's doing. Um,
0: but sometimes that's not, yeah. there's just a leak. Yeah. It's just bad luck. Yeah. And yet we're doing the job going around, why has he done this to me? And it's actually just bad luck. Yeah. 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 It's not about, you know, everything you know. It's not always about us. And that's the key thing. We we make it all about us. A number of years ago, we were living in Birmingham and our next door neighbour had this thing where she'd often say, somebody up there hates me. And um, one day she's driving down the road and she drops a cigarette and she reaches down to pick up the cigarette in the car, swerves into the other side of the road and drives head on to another car. She says to us, somebody up there hates me. And I'm thinking, no, you're just an idiot. Like you've, just, you've just made a stupid decision mm. that has caused an accident. That's not God's fault. You were just doing something silly. And there are times when we're looking for someone else to take the blame. And actually, it's just bad luck. Mm. You, know, you might say, yeah, but I don't believe in luck, Chris. I don't believe in You know what I mean? It's just that things happen. Mm. And it's sometimes uh, it's not the devil's fault. Like the the devil didn't flick the cigarette out of her hand. She's just an idiot.
1: Oh, I dare. This this is a really interesting thing actually, because the devil, like the way that people use the devil, or like some people call it the enemy, in regards to describing misfortune, because it does feel like that's the alternative, right? You're either like God hates me, or it's the devil like getting at me. And I don't. It's this kind of sense there has to be like a person going after me in order for bad stuff to happen. Because yeah. I think in I I definitely know people like who would. Everything negative that happens, they would, uh, they would attribute to spiritual warfare or to the devil.
0: Because it's got to be somebody else's fault. <laughs> we cannot get our heads around the fact that stuff happens or I happen. And I have to be super honest. There are times in my life when it's my fault. Mm. And I just have to take responsibility for the fact that I made a bad decision 15 years ago and it's come back now to bite me. Or I made a decision when I said something to somebody 10 years ago and it's reared its head again. I just have to take responsibility. And I work with a lot with addicts. And so often addicts have this uh, uh, orphan mentality that believes there's somebody out to jeopardise their life. And there's nobody out to jeopardise their life other than they're an addict. <laughs> and they've got this addiction and they're allowing it to control their lives. Now that doesn't solve many suffering
2: issues but there is an angle on that we just have to take responsibility sometimes Mm. well I think we are we're tricked by the way we're educated to think that when we understand something we can solve it and so like we've got huge brains but underdeveloped hearts with God so something bad happens I want to understand the root cause of this why it's happened because something in me says when I understand it then it will be a bit easier but in reality it doesn't Right? Mm, that's good. And so the truth is, sometimes things happen that are hard for us. Sometimes it's the work of the devil, sometimes it's the work of God, sometimes it's my mistake, sometimes leaks just happen. Things fall off, things break. We live in a world which is beauty and chaos, building and decay, mm. all at the same time. And what's different about the life that Jesus invites us into. Is uh, This side of his return, it's seeing that world around us differently. So when we go through a hard time, not trying to pin the blame so that we can feel more in control, but moving closer to God so that we can be with him as we journey through it.
0: Mm.
2: Because that's us knowing our place, isn't it? That's us Mm. seeking what, what he wants from us in that moment. Mm. isn't it, it's closeness with
0: him it's always intimacy God always is always looking to be intimate to us, with yeah. us
2: yeah
0: can I ask you it's just you, you started sort of talking about false messages, Like we, mm. we give false messages one of them is that if you believe in God then for life will be good, what are the other kind of false messages so I'm, I'm just very aware that this idea that if you're a Christian you will have a perfect looking family, you'll marry and to, let's be honest though Christian guys always seem to marry up uh, they always marry somebody that's, that's uh, better looking than what they does that make sense you, I always look at Christian yeah. guys and go, he's, <laughs> he's done better than what you would have done I have to be very careful <laughs> no it's true I, I look at Christian guys <laughs> well, and go
1: implicating people <laughs> yeah. he's, he's
0: married better than what he would have done if he wasn't a believer seriously yeah because
1: the, 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 the harvest is done
0: to I
2: know
0: and so you know, I, have, I have people in my church who genuinely, because God loves them, he will give them the perfect husband, or the yeah. perfect wife, they will have children, uh, they will have the picket fence, and it'll all be beautiful. Oh, yeah. Then they hit 40, and yeah. it's not happened yet. So they, it starts this process in them, is God faithful to me? Because mm. he's given them, he's given them, he's not given mm. me. And, um, and, I, and I don't want to cheapen that. It feels like deep hurt and rejection. Mm. And people just feel it so hard mm. that, uh, and it's a line that we've given people. You know, if you turn up to enough seminars at Christian conferences mm. about Christian marriage, and then you hold up this Christian conference idea, and you might even call it the Disney idea mm. of this perfect Christian life, and then you don't get it. Well, God it's in
1: also that? the narrative around like purity culture, right? So you're saving even description of like pu- you know you're saving yourself for marriage, right? So it's like the expectation that if you make certain decisions about like who you sleep with. God will reward you for that and that narrative the other one I think um, people struggle with a lot is there is one God has called you to one job and once you find that perfect job that's what God's prepared for you and and then you deal with people who are like oh I, I just don't know what I'm called to and I'm waiting for this like download of like my entire like 25 year career path and God's not given me that and so obviously I'm either like not listening to him or he doesn't care enough about me to like give me that clear sense of like what I'm meant to be spending
2: my life doing. Yeah, and we got that from, um, like, all the Disney films we watched merged with some weird 1980s Thatcherism propaganda. Mm. Like, you can do anything you want to do so long as you believe enough. Mm. You know, live your best life. Right? Mm. And you, you deserve it. Mm. And well, it's, just not, a- not, it's just not the case, is what it? What about that song we used to sing, I'm Gonna Be a History Maker?
0: Yeah. programmed the entire generation that we were going to change the world and when we find out that actually changing the world was going to be a lot harder work than we first thought yeah. and singing a song, was going to, we were going to need more than that mm. and then suddenly it's like, well it didn't happen therefore God God hasn't sent revival therefore God is not what we thought he was so we reject the whole thing
2: Yeah, well, I think the message is right, it's about perspective that this shalom that Sarah you were speaking about this wholeness, this everything in its right place the, the reuniting of everything Um, it starts within us, right? That's what Jesus gives us, like reconnection with God at at our core. And it's from that that things flow, and that means we first take responsibility for ourselves and for our actions. Now, it's hard not to sing a song like History Maker and think of, I'm going to be the single person to eradicate poverty off the face of the earth, Mm. whereas I'm, I'm not really giving much of my money to people who need it right now, Investing much of my time in the system. We want justice. the glory of being
0: a history maker, but we don't want the sacrifice of being a history maker as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we follow a a, a rabbi who was born into obscurity mm. in like and lived most of his ministry in obscurity yeah. and actually, and so it's such a different way of doing things and yet you know if we're honest like probably the way if we were going to announce the resurrection of jesus or if we were going to mm. do his ministry mm. based on the culture we've been trained in we would do it completely differently and it would be way less effective mm. like in you know, actually, should because it and i think even stuff like it we're not always prepared to just slog it out in a community for a yeah. while or you know the costly nature of having to work alongside people who are different mm. from us or be in a church that is you know in a little town in a little estate that it feels like you're plugging away and nothing's changing I don't know what I'm going to be a history maker by like faithfully attending and serving at my food like local food bank for 15 years and praying for the same three people Mm -hmm. even though that could be actually in the long run like the the strange nature Mm -hmm. you know what exactly what God is calling us to do but we can't always or I'm gonna you know spend five years of my life like at home with my kids and then work part time and then do different like that narrative is messier and so yeah. we're not equipped to deal mm-hmm. with messy narratives
2: yeah like we we feel called to be someone to make a difference mm. but actually we're not called to that we're called to jesus mm-hmm. and to do life with him and that w- that will yeah. make a difference and it will it will shape him in us our idea of living our best life is different to god's idea of living a god life
0: amazing but that, that that's probably a really good spot for us just to close, you know, if anybody's listening to this and you're going through it at the moment, you've lost a loved one, or you've just been diagnosed with something, or a family member, or you know, all the, the scenarios that life throws at us. If you're going through that, <clears throat> you know, definitely ask the question: Where is God right now? Do I sense His presence? so I know Him with me? And if the answer is no, then the prayer would be: God, would You show Your presence to me? Don't be absent from me. Don't run away from me. But, but come and be with me. Friends, thank you so much for another excellent episode. Uh, And Make It Disciples, guys, listening, uh, grace and peace. Don't forget to share this episode, like it, comment, and all that usual stuff. But until next time, grace and peace.